This is a download from Ormskirk Christadelphians of one of our Sunday afternoon talks. For more downloads, go to our website, ormskirkchristadelphians.org.uk or join us in person at our meeting room on Moorgate in Ormskirk every Sunday at 1.45pm. We hope you enjoy the talk. In verse 3 of our first hymn, hymn 88, the words say, Pardon for sin and a peace that endureth, thine own new presence to cheer and to guide. Strength for today and bright hope for tomorrow, blessings all mine with ten thousand beside. Now these words really sum up God's mercy and love towards us. God has promises, strength for today and a bright hope for tomorrow. It's these words that I want to focus on from a talk this afternoon. Now in the Bible we are told that the bright hope for tomorrow, for the future, is the return of Jesus to the earth and the establishment of God's kingdom here on earth. In Acts chapter 1 verses 9 to 11 which we've just read, it says, And when Jesus spoke in these things while they beheld, he was taken up and a cloud received him out of their sight. And while they, his disciples, looked look steadfastly toward heaven as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, which also said, Ye men of Galilee, why stand ye gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus which is taken up from you into heaven shall so come in like manner as ye have seen him go into heaven. So these words are clearly telling us that one day in the very near future Jesus Christ will return to the earth on clouds of glory to establish the kingdom of God on earth. It is the brightest hope, the only hope for the future of our planet. But when will this momentous event take place? Well, only God knows. Jesus himself said, But of that day and hour knoweth no man, no, not the angels of heaven, but my Father only. But in the Bible we do have many prophecies which give us details of what will be happening in the world immediately before his return. I'd just like to look at one of those prophecies to start with, which is to be found in Daniel and chapter 2. Now, this man Daniel was one of the four great prophets of God in the Old Testament. He was born in Jerusalem in the, about 623 BC into one of the noble families of Judah. In 606 BC, at around the age of 18, he, along with thousands of others from Judah, was taken away captive into Babylon. Once in Babylon, he had been ordered to enter into the king's service and spent three years training in one of the royal schools. And at the end of the training, he became distinguished for his understanding and the wisdom of the day, and soon became known for his skill in the interpretation of dreams. So in chapter 2 then we read that God sends a dream to the greatest and most powerful of all the Babylonian kings, Nebuchadnezzar. Verse 1 of Daniel 2. And in the second year of the reign of Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar dreamed dreams wherewith his spirit was troubled and his sleep broke from him. Now this dream was really more like a nightmare as it really troubled the king. It was so unusual and frightening. So Nebuchadnezzar brought in all his wise men, astrologers, and told them to interpret the dream, otherwise they would lose their lives. But he did not tell them what the dream was about, because he felt that if they were who they claimed to be, 
then they should know the interpretation without knowing what the dream was about. So all the wise men tried and tried, but they could not interpret the dream. In verse 11 of chapter 2, we read that the wise men plead with the king for their lives. They say in verse 11, It is a rare thing that the king requireth, and there is none that can show it before the king except the gods whose dwelling is not with flesh. For this cause the king was angry and very furious, and commanded to destroy all the wise men of Babylon. And the decree went forth that the wise men should be slain, and they saw Daniel and his fellows to be slain. But even though his life was in danger, we read that Daniel went to see the king. And in verse 16 of chapter 2 it says, Then Daniel went in and desired of the king that he would give him time, and that he would show the king the interpretation. Then Daniel went to his house and made the thing known to Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, his companions, that they would desire mercy of the God of heaven concerning this secret, that Daniel and his fellow should not perish with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. Then was the secret revealed to Daniel in a night vision. Then Daniel blessed the God of heaven. So Daniel goes back to see Nebuchadnezzar to tell him the interpretation of the dream. Verse 28 of Daniel chapter 2, Daniel tells Nebuchadnezzar, There is a God in heaven that revealed the secrets, and maketh known to the king Nebuchadnezzar what shall be in the latter days. Thy dream and the visions of thy head upon thy bed are these. Thou, O king, sawest and behold a great image. This great image whose brightness was excellent stood before thee, and the form thereof was terrible. This image's head was of fine gold, his breast and his arms of silver, his belly and his thighs of brass. His legs of iron, his feet part of iron and part of clay. Thou sawest till that a stone was cut out without hands, which smote the image upon his feet that were of iron and clay, and brake them to pieces. Then was the iron, the clay, the brass, the silver, and the gold broken to pieces, and the wind took them away that no place was found for them. And the stone that smote the image became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. So that was a dream. Now, before going on to look at the interpretation, it should be noted that this prophetic vision had both a short and long-term fulfilment. This in part was so that the truth of the words of Daniel could be checked by anyone who heard him speak them at that time, and hence there would be no doubt that this was a true prophet of God. So in verses 37 to 45, Daniel tells Nebuchadnezzar the interpretation of the dream. The head of gold referred to the Babylonian Empire, ruled over at the time by Nebuchadnezzar and which lasted from 606 to 536 BC. There are this head of gold, Daniel says. Then in verse 39 he says, And after thee shall arise another kingdom inferior to thee, referring to the breasts and arms of silver. Now this part of the prophecy had a short-term fulfilment, the truth of which could be checked by the Babylonians themselves. The breasts and arms of silver represented the Medo-Persian Empire, hence the two arms. Now even in the days of Nebuchadnezzar's mighty empire, the Medes and the Persians were becoming troublesome. Within the space of 60 years this part of the prophecy had been fulfilled when the Medo-Persian army conquered Babylon and took control of the empire, ruling from 536 to 334 BC. In verse 39, 
Daniel, Daniel goes on to say that the belly and thighs of brass refer to a third kingdom which would succeed the Medo-Persians and bear rule over all the earth. This third kingdom referred to the Greek Empire which sure enough took over from the Medo-Persians in 334 BC and ruled till 67 BC. But the Greek Empire did not bear rule over all the earth so what did Daniel mean by this? Well let's identify the fourth kingdom first represented by the legs of iron and hence as strong as iron. In verse 40 of chapter 2 Daniel says and as iron that breaketh all these shall it break in pieces and bruise. His fourth kingdom was the Roman Empire which sure enough succeeded the Greek Empire in 67 BC and lasted at its full might till approximately 135 AD. But just as the Greeks did not bear rule over all the earth so the Romans did not break in pieces and bruise. Moreover they brought law and order to the promises of their empire. So were parts of the prophecy wrong? Well no. This prophecy of Nebuchadnezzar's image was not meant to be a prophecy concerning the history of world empires otherwise such empires as the Spanish and the British would have been included. The image was a prophecy of Gentile powers who would completely oppress the people of God, the Jews and the whole land of Israel. So overall the earth actually means overall Israel which is what happened. The Greek Empire did bear rule over all the land of Israel. And the Jews were so troublesome for the Romans when they occupied the land of Israel that in the end their patience was exhausted. In AD 70 the Romans literally broke in pieces and burned the land of Israel, eventually driving the Jews from their own land in approximately AD 135. So within approximately 650 years the first four stages of Daniel's prophecy have been fulfilled. The Babylonian, Medo-Persian, Greek and Roman empires all came and went. But then we come to the feet, which I refer to as the time of the end. Verse 41 of Daniel chapter 2. And whereas thou sawest the feet and toes, part of potter's clay and part of iron, the kingdom shall be divided. But there shall be until the strength of the iron, for as much as thou sawest the iron mixed with miry clay. And as the toes of the feet were part of iron and part of clay, so the kingdom shall be partly strong and partly broken. And whereas thou sawest iron mixed with miry clay, they shall mingle themselves with the seed of men, but they shall not cleave one to another, even as iron is not mixed with clay. Verse 44 And in the days of these kings shall the God of heaven set up a kingdom, which shall never be destroyed. And the kingdom shall not be left to other people, but it shall break in pieces and consume all these kingdoms, and it shall stand forever. For as much as thou sawest that the stone was cut out of the mountain without hands, and that it break in pieces the iron, the brass, the silver, and the gold, the great God hath made known to the king what shall come to pass hereafter, and the dream is certain, and the interpretation thereof sure. Now if the first four parts of this prophecy refer to Gentile powers who would oppress the Jews in the own land of Israel, then surely the last stage of the female source referred to this. But God's history was interrupted when the Romans drove the Jews from their land in AD 135. For nearly 2,000 years there were no Jews in their own land. Israel ceased to exist. 
and history could only resume when the Jews returned to their land in 1948 and the state of Israel was reborn. The fifth stage then is a long-term fulfillment, which so far has not been fulfilled. The feet refer to an alliance of nations who don't mix, who don't get along, with some strong as iron, some weak as clay, and who will invade, conquer and oppress the Jews in their own land of Israel. So who will this alliance consist of? Well, we can't be 100% certain, but from reading Psalm 83, Isaiah chapter 13 and Ezekiel 38, we can find a list of names. Psalm 83, we get the names of Edom, Moab, Ammon and Assur. Ezekiel chapter 38, Persia, Ethiopia and Libya. Now with the exception of Libya and Ethiopia, none of these names exist today. But they are all ancient names for Arab nations that do exist. For example, Persia is now the area we call Iraq and Iran. Now this description of some as strong as iron, some weak as clay, does seem to fit perfectly with the Arab nations of the world today. Some are weak as clay, some are strong as iron. It's a well-known fact they do not like each other and can't agree on much. But the one thing that they all agree on is that they hate the Jews, who like nothing better than to see Israel destroyed. So moving on then to the last piece of the image, which is a stone that falls out of the sky and destroys, breaks up the feet, which in turn brings down the whole image. The stone refers to Jesus Christ, who will return to save the Jews from their greatest time of trouble when this alliance invades. In Zechariah chapter 14, verses 1 to 3, it speaks of this future invasion and return of Jesus. It says, Behold, the day of the Lord cometh, and thy spoil shall be divided in the midst of thee. For I will gather all nations against Jerusalem to battle, and the city shall be taken, the houses rifled, and the women ravished, and half of Jerusalem, half the city shall go forth into captivity. And the residue of the people shall not be cut off from the city. Verse 3, Then shall the Lord go forth and fight against those nations as when he fought in the day of battle. Jesus will then establish God's kingdom in Israel and it will grow and grow till it fills the whole earth. And we can be 100% certain that this last stage of Nebuchadnezzar's image will be fulfilled because the previous first four parts were all fulfilled right down to the last minute detail. Bible prophecy is sure and certain. 2 Peter 1 verse 19, a verse read out this morning, it says, We have also a most sure word of prophecy, whereunto ye do well that ye take heed, as unto a light that shineth in a dark place, until the day dawn, and the day star arise in your hearts. So, to give us an extremely bright hope for the future, I'd like to look now at what God's kingdom on earth will be like. Now, if you think of the most joyous experience you've ever had, well, that's nothing compared to the joys we will experience by God's grace in his kingdom on earth. And for our first vision of God's kingdom, I'd like to go to Isaiah chapter 11 and verses 1 to 5. Verse 1 of Isaiah chapter 11. And there shall come forth a rod out of the stem of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of his roots. And the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the Spirit of wisdom and understanding, the Spirit of counsel and might, 
the spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord and shall make him a quick understanding in the fear of the Lord and he shall not judge after the sight of his eyes neither approve after the hearing of his ears but with righteousness shall he judge the poor and reprove with equity for the meek of the earth and he shall smite the earth with the rod of his mouth with the breath of his lips shall he slay the wicked and righteousness shall be the girdle of his loins and faithfulness the girdle of his reins so in God's kingdom on earth Jesus will be the righteous king and ruler as it says in verse 5 righteousness shall be the girdle of his loins Christ is adorned with righteousness his strength and bite in the kingdom he will perform it at all times Jesus will be a king that reigns in righteousness hence in God's kingdom, kingdom there will be none of the injustice that we see around us in today's world with righteousness Jesus will be a strength to the poor and needy Jesus just as he is now will be a strength to the poor and a strength to the needy in the times of their distress in the kingdom there will be prevailing equality for all Jesus will be a leader that we can have completion to trust in he will be honest and trustworthy in the bible we're also told that the kingdom will be a time of great prosperity and peace we're told that all land everywhere will blossom abundantly there will be no famine as the land will yield far more than we can ever imagine now and to clarify this point the prophet Amos tells us that there will even be a handful of corn on top of the highest mountains Amos chapter 9 verse 13 it says behold the days come saith the Lord that the ploughman shall overtake the reaper and the treasure of grapes him that sow a seed and the mountain shall drop sweet wine and all the hills shall melt and then Joel 3 verse 18 and it shall come to pass in that day that the mountain shall drop new wine the hills shall flow with milk and all the rivers of Judah shall flow with waters so in this verse the prophet Joel is telling us that all land will be extremely fertile hence no famine and Joel also says that all the streams and rivers of Judah will flow constantly with waters there will be no droughts so in God's kingdom there will never be any famine or any droughts now we just looked a few moments ago at the first four verses of Isaiah chapter 11 I'd like to go back there now and look at verses 6 to 9 of that chapter verse 6 of Isaiah 11 the wolf also shall dwell with the lamb the leopard shall lie down with the kid the calf and the young lion and the fowling together and the little child shall lead them and the cow and the bear shall feed their young ones shall lie down together the lion shall eat straw like the ox and the sucking child shall play on the hole of the asp and the weaned child shall put his hand on the cockatrice ten they shall not hurt nor destroy in all my holy mountain for the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea so in the kingdom all animals will be peaceful you will be able to put a small child a toddler in a snake pit full of king cobras or vipers without any fear whatsoever of the child getting hurt the wolf will dwell with a lamb a leopard will lie down with a kid the calf and the young lion are fattling together and the little child shall lead them 
This picture is something that we will, is unthinkable in this present time. If you try to put this group together now, the wolf would most likely eat the lamb, the leopard would eat the kid, the lion would eat the calf, I don't think the child would be very safe. Further on in Isaiah, we're told that crippling diseases will be done away with. Also due to massive change to the Earth's environment, the dry arid deserts will vanish and become a fruitful oasis, as I mentioned when we looked at the prophet Joel. In Isaiah chapter 35 verses 1 to 10, we have a joyful picture of the flourishing of God's kingdom on earth. In the first four verses we are told that even the most dry arid land will blossom abundantly as a rose. Then in verses 5 to 10 of Isaiah 35 it says, Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened, and the ears of the deaf shall be unstopped. Then shall the lame man leap as in heart, and the tongue of the dumb sing. For in the wilderness shall waters break out in streams in the desert. And the parched ground shall become a pool, and the thirsty land springs of water. In the habitation, excuse me, in the habitation of dragons, where each lay, shall be grass with reeds and rushes. So imagine it, no more blindness, no more not being able to hear, and the lame man being able to run like a deer. Then in verse 10, And the ransom of the Lord shall return and come to Zion with songs and everlasting joy upon their heads. They shall obtain joy and gladness, and sorrow and sighing shall flee away. So that surely is a bright hope for tomorrow, one I'm sure we all want to be part of. But in the meantime, we have to live in this present world with all its troubles and problems. But if we put our faith and trust in him now, God has promised us strength for each day. And in the Bible, we find many verses on strength and which encourage us to be strong in our faith and our daily walk with Jesus. For example, in Philippians chapter 4, verse 13, it says, I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. That was the Apostle Paul who was speaking these words. And Paul went through many trials and tribulations because of his faith and these experiences in his life have led him to this conclusion that nothing would be required of him which he would not be able to, to perform if the strength of Jesus was with him. In 2 Corinthians chapter 12 verses 7 to 10 Paul says Unless I shall be exalted above measure through the abundance of the revelations that was given to me a thorn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan to buffer me, lest I should be exalted above measure. For this thing I besought the Lord thrice that it might depart from me. He said unto me, My grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly therefore will I rather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in necessities, in persecutions, in distresses for Christ's sake, for when I am weak, then am I strong. It was when Paul was at his weakest that he was fully able to appreciate the strength and uplifting support that Jesus gave him. As Jesus says, my strength is made perfect in weakness. So when we are faced with problems and troubles in this present life, we are told to ask Jesus for the strength to cope with them. And if we ask with unwavering faith and he will support us, he will not allow us to be overcome and weighed down by the problem. 
and we can have nothing to fear with Jesus' our strength and support. And if we put our trust in Jesus, he will give us the strength to bear the problems that we have to face in this life. Isaiah chapter 40 verse 29 says that he gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. And then further on in verse 31 of Isaiah 40 it says, But they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength, they shall mount up with wings as eagles, they shall run and not be weary, and they shall walk and not faint. This verse is describing how we shall be if we are chosen to be in God's kingdom. The Apostle Paul says that the problems of this life are not worthy to be compared to the joy that awaits us by God's grace in the kingdom. And this verse is one verse that really clarifies that point. If we do want to be in God's kingdom, then we need to believe and put our trust in Jesus now and be baptised into his saving name. In Mark chapter 16 verses 15 and 16 Jesus says, to his disciples go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature he that believeth and is baptized shall be saved if we put our complete trust and belief in Jesus and are baptized into his saving name God has promised us strength for each day and an extremely bright hope for tomorrow a place in God's kingdom here on earth we hope you enjoyed that talk for more downloads, information about what we believe and details of our meeting times, go to our website, ormskirkchristadelphians.org.uk. Mm-hmm.